Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening. My Bible is opened up to Judges chapter 1. It's going to be in the book of Judges, uh, really, actually, for the entirety of the lesson tonight. And so that ought to make things really easy on everybody to get a Bible out and to be able to follow along tonight. As we consider some things from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not a book of law for us today. The Old Testament still does serve a very powerful function in use. We can go back and we can learn just some powerful truths about, about God and how God deals with His people and, and some understandings about, about sin and righteousness, some important principles that we can still implement into our lives today. And that's what we want to do this evening. It's great to see everybody tonight. It's been just a beautiful spring day. I, if somebody was complaining about the weather today, you ought to be taken out back and stoned with songbooks because it's been a wonderful day here in South Central Kentucky. And I hope that you've been able to enjoy this day, if not being out in it, if nonetheless at least being able to maybe admire it and see the beauty of God's handiwork all around us. It's just wonderful reminders of, of God's power and His majesty and His, His creativity at this particular time of the year. Let's talk about Judges chapter 1 now. I'm reading here, going to rip off the first seven verses of the beginning of the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 1, read with me, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands. and They defeated ten thousand of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek, and fought against him, and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. And as I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem. He died there. What do you say about a book of the Bible where cutting off the thumbs and the big toes of somebody is actually not the strangest thing that happens in the text. Welcome to the book of Judges. It is absolutely without doubt one of the craziest books in the Bible. It has more strange occurrences, more unbelievable events, more things that cause you to go, did I just see that? Did I just actually read that. He cut off their thumbs and their big toes. What is going on here? It is a book that is full of a veritable who's who of Bible heroes. Samson, Gideon, Deborah. All of those are found in this book. But it is a strange collection of unusual tales. In fact, if you were to take the book of Joshua and the movie Braveheart, and then the American frontier during the time of the wild, wild west, and you were to throw all of that into a blender and then push the button and then bzzz, what would come out, I believe, would be the book of Judges. And we are, we are fixing to read it. Our Bible reading schedule for 2017, the His Story reading plan, brings us this week to the book of Judges. We will conclude the book of Joshua and we will begin reading Judges later on this week. 
And let me just say right now that if you've fallen, if you've fallen behind in the reading, or maybe you've kind of just given up altogether, or maybe you haven't even started, this is a good week to get started. This is an ideal time. You're coming in at kind of a kind of a dividing line in history here. So it's a great place for you to jump in and follow along and get what's going on. And this evening, what I want to do is I want to try to whet your appetite to do just that. And even for the rest of us that have been doing the reading and we're sticking with it, really want to get us fired up and excited about this very unique book of the Bible. I did some lessons like this last year before we read the book of Psalms, before we read the book of Proverbs, before we read the book of Ecclesiastes, and I want to do it again this evening. Tonight I want to talk to us about how we can get the most from the book of Judges. How can we maximize these next four weeks or so of reading in this book? If you're not familiar with Judges at all, then you might be inclined, just by the name of the book, you might be inclined to think that this must be God's law book, that there's maybe lots of courthouse kinds of happenings here. But it is not. It is not about courtrooms or motions or attorneys or objections. And the judges that we read about in this book, they don't wear black robes and carry around gavels and, you know, render judicial decisions. No, these judges, they are leaders. They are the leaders of God's chosen people, Israel. And more specifically, they are military leaders. They are leaders who lead the Israelites into combat and into battle. Yet you will quickly notice as we begin to look at the battles that take place in Judges, that they are very different from the kinds of battles that we've been reading about in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, the Israelites are the ones going into battle, and they are the ones subduing other nations. But in the book of Judges, what we find is we find repeatedly that the Israelites, they are the ones being subdued. They are the ones being oppressed. They are the ones having to fight for their very survival, and so judges arise to lead them because they aren't, Doing what's right. Judges is very much a book about sin and apostasy. But it is also a book about repentance and victory. All of that is wrapped up in these 21 amazing chapters that are very, very fast-paced, sometimes very hard for us to even believe in places. But I'll tell you this, they are never, ever dull. I want you to understand, though, that as we read the book of Judges this week, we're doing that a whole lot for a whole lot more than just entertainment purposes. We're not reading this book just because it's enjoyable reading and, oh man, that's just, that's a great story to read. No. And I believe as well that it is a mistake for us to confine the stories of the book of Judges to Sunday school for little kids. They need to learn that. They need to be able to name all the judges and go through all of those kinds of stories. We need to, we need to see if there's value in this for all of us. What we're trying to do in Judges, in fact, what we're trying to do with this entire Bible reading program this year is to think hard and think long about how we can grow closer to God. That's why it is called His Story. We want to know Him. We want to understand Him. We want to understand God's ways. And I believe that if we read Judges right, then this book will help us to accomplish those very goals. Perhaps maybe like no other book in the Old Testament, this book has the potential to help us to know the Lord in an unprecedented kind of way. And so this evening, I want to talk to you about some of the things that you will get 
from reading the book of Judges. Many times when I talk about Bible reading, I try to always talk about the benefits of Bible reading. What kind of good things do we get out of that? And this evening we are going to notice some of the things that we're going to get out of reading the book of Judges. Some of the big ideas. Some of the major themes that this book has in store for its readers and hopefully those readers include us. And the very first of those themes, the very first of those things that you're going to get, and this actually may be the most important of all, is that when you read the book of Judges, you will just, you just cannot help but be impressed with the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness is on grand display in the book of Judges. I want you to imagine, if you will, imagine that you have a neighbor. And it's not like a neighbor that's, you know, like kind of a stranger to you. I mean, it's a good neighbor. It's a neighbor that you would call a friend. And this neighbor comes to your house and they knock on the door and they say, hey, Doing a project at my house, I need a hammer. Can I borrow your hammer? And you say, yeah, sure, anytime. Here, take my hammer. He takes your hammer home. He breaks your hammer. And then to make matters worse, he doesn't offer to fix it, to repair it, to make good on it, to pay you back for it. Nope. Just, you're left with a bum hammer. A couple days later, he comes back knocking on your door. Hey, can I borrow your socket wrenches? Working on something over here. Need some socket wrenches. Okay, why not? Sure, be glad to let you borrow. Borrows your socket wrenches. Never returns them. A few days later, knocking on the door again. Hey, can you loan me your cordless drill? All I got is these little hand screws. I need a cordless drill. Sure, fine. Here's my cordless drill. Takes it home. Breaks that too. Doesn't offer to pay for it. Doesn't offer to fix that. At some point, when he stops by the next time and says, Hey, can I borrow your power saw? At some point, you're going to say, no, I'm sorry. I'm drawing a line right here. Can't help you anymore. And that is exactly what happens whenever people abuse or misuse your trust. Whenever they abuse or misuse your goodwill. At some point, we feel, all right, i got to draw a line right here. No more of this. Yet in the book of Judges, what we're going to see is we're going to see how God's grace and God's mercy, and God's patience, it outruns and it outweighs anything that any human could ever do. Because this book just talks, and it majors in God's continual kindness, God's continued faithfulness, even when the neighbor keeps breaking his tools. Over and over again in the book of Judges, we find God forgiving His people, and then delivering His people. Forgiving His people, delivering His people over and over again. In fact, I believe that 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 is the main thing. That is the primary takeaway that we ought to get whenever we read anything in the book of Judges. And maybe the best place for us to see that is in chapter 2. Would you look in chapter 2? Because right here near the beginning of the book, the writer of Judges gives us this little summary to kind of give us a heads up as to what we're going to get into. In Judges chapter 2, read with me beginning in verse 11. Here's the pattern that takes place throughout the book. Judges 2 verse 11. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. The Ashtaroth was considered to be kind of the female companion of Baal. Verse 14, 
So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, they were in terrible distress. Then, verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. That right there is, that is the cycle all throughout the book of Judges. Israel sins. Usually it's something to do with idols. Israel is then oppressed by a foreign power, by a foreign enemy. Israel then, after a period of time, sometimes actually after several years, they finally kind of you know, come to their senses and they begin to cry out to the Lord, cry out to Him in repentance. God then sees their pity, moves with compassion towards them, and raises up a deliverer, raises up a judge. Israel is then saved as by the merciful and mighty hand of God. Afterwards, Israel then enjoys a period of peace in the land. Things seem to be going really well, but then... Then they go right back to sin. They go right back to idolatry and the cycle repeats itself again and again and again. God's people in the book of Judges will not remain faithful to Him. In fact, one writer put it this way. He said that the judges, the judges are often able to rally the people to a short-term success, but the judges are unable to permanently change the people's hearts from apostasy. We're going to read this book. And by the time we get to, I don't know, like chapter 10, you're probably going to be thinking, enough. God, enough of these people. Why do you put up with these people? These are wicked people. How about you get rid of these people and get some people who really do care about you and love you and do want to serve you. I've had it with these folks. Yet the theme of Judges 2 verse 1 is going to ring with power. Look at Judges 2 verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. Notice this. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. That. That's what this book is all about. I believe you certainly would do well to be able to maybe remember that cycle of the judges. Teach that to your children. Usually in our Bible classes, we try to teach that cycle to our kids. And you would probably benefit as well from being able to remember all of the names of all of the various judges. That would be great. That's not the main reason that we're reading this book. We are reading judges so that we can be impressed with God's steadfast love. God's long-suffering. God's great faithfulness that He demonstrates toward His people. And that's important because, think about us today. A huge component of our walk with God, a huge component of our trust in God, is the Lord's promise that He said there in chapter 2 and verse 1, that I will never break my covenant with my people. That's true today just as it was back then. Where we come to the place, and we need to get to the place in our own Christian walk, where we come to understand that even when I stumble, Even when I fail the Lord, even when I sin, God still loves me. 
God still cares for me. And if I will repent, God's assurance is that He will welcome me back into His home. Judges drives that point home just in spades. And if you have ever thought to yourself at any point in your life that God was about to just give up on you, if you have ever thought that your sin was just so great that God was liable to just kick you out of the house and never let you back in, if ever you have told yourself, I just don't think God could ever forgive me. I know how bad of things I've done. I just can't imagine God would forgive me. Then my friend, this is your book. Come read Judges. Because it is arguably the greatest testament to the faithfulness, faithfulness of God in Scripture. It is also, secondly, a book that majors in courage. And if you will read Judges, I believe that you will be inspired to be more courageous. I believe everybody admires courage. That's a, such a noble quality. And I'd like to think that everybody desires to have courage, or at least have more courage. Courage is, quite simply, the ability to do the right thing when it is hard to do the right thing. And if there is anything that the people of God today could use more of, it's courage. Because while I believe that we usually know the right thing to do, it's not a, it's not a knowledge problem, it's not a head problem, usually... It's a failure in the heart. It's a heart problem. We know the right thing, but but we're weak in our heart. We are afraid. We lack the courage to actually follow through and do the right things. So where do you go? Where do you go to to get you some courage? Go down to the store and pick up a big old bottle of courage? Get on courage.com and put some courage into your basket there and check out and blah, now you... 25% 25% more courage in your life. That's, that's not where you get courage. What I want to suggest to you is that you can get a good dose of courage by reading this book, the book of Judges. Judges has example after example after example of people who demonstrated great courage. And when we read of people who demonstrate great courage, whether it's in the Bible or we read about something in the news, about you know somebody who did some heroic and courageous act, what does that do for us? That inspires courage in us. It encourages, it puts courage into us. And the neat thing about the book of Judges is that the people who demonstrated courage throughout this book, they're not like extraordinary, incredible, superhero type people. No, they're just regular Joes and regular Janes like you and I. Like, for example, in Judges 4. Look in Judges 4, verse 1. Judges 4, verse 1. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. The Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Haggayim. Practice that all afternoon. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Just a terrible king causing just terrible problems for the people of Israel. What are they going to do? Verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. Now, usually the judges are men. And usually they are military men, men who have been trained in combat. But it would seem that Deborah lived during a time 
when there weren't any courageous men to lead Israel into battle. And so what she do? She leads the people into battle. She is the one who exercises great courage. If you're a woman, I hope that that does inspire you. We'll see that again. Look in chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, Gideon is one of the more famous stories from the book of Judges. We know about Gideon and his 300 men. And we read that story and we teach that story to our kids and, and we just marvel at that. Wow, what courage and what faith he must have had to be able to fight against the Midianites with only 300 men. But what we forget is that when we first meet Gideon, he's not this big courageous guy. Look in Judges 6 verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide from the Midianites. Yeah. That doesn't really look like Mr. Courage to me. Here's a guy, he's hiding. He's hiding out in the wine press. Yet he finds the courage that he needs. And he finds the courage he needs not only to come out from hiding, but he finds the courage he needs to lead Israel into that battle against the Midianites. Courage matters. Courage is essential to our walk with the Lord. In fact, I really want to stress the importance of, of this point and the importance of, of reading the book of Judges. We really want to stress this to our young people, to our young people that are old enough to read, to our teenagers, to maybe our young 20-somethings. This is the kind of thing that you really, I think, would really benefit from by focusing on the book of Judges. Because you, maybe more than anyone else among us, You will need great courage to do what is right. We're just being honest. There were times in this country's history when it was, I don't want to say easy, but it was a little bit easier to be a moral and upright person. Is that probably a fair thing to say? When the majority of our society seemed to to be going a little bit more in the direction that we're going. They seemed to have some some principles of of morality and and faith about them. And so making the right choices on a daily basis was a little bit easier for us. Not so much anymore. And as a result, that means that our young people, they do need courage. And they do need boldness. They need to be able to have the courage to say no to the opportunities to sin and to do evil. And they need to have the courage as well to stand up and to say yes to the things that are good and the things that are right. And of course, it's not just our young people who need that. All of us, all of us are faced with temptations daily. All of us need some help to be able to stand up and to speak up. That takes courage. And I think you'll find that this book, it illustrates courage in a marvelous way. In fact, if you drop back to chapter 5, look at chapter 5. You'll get a good look there at what God thinks of people who don't have courage. Someone who doesn't exercise courage is usually called what? A coward. And we find some of those cowardly type folks in chapter 5. Look in chapter 5, verse 15. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar faithful to Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels, and among the clans of Reuben there was great searchings of heart. Here's Reuben's people. They're getting in there and fighting. They're, they're really thinking about it. They're really searching within their heart as to what they're going to do. Verse 16, Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben there was great searchings of heart. 
Gilead stayed behind the Jordan. Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. In all of that, it's almost like you can hear maybe Deborah and some of the other people who had some courage saying, Hey, where are you guys? We needed you. We were in battle. We were fighting for our very lives. Where were you, you bunch of cowards? This book frowns on people who are cowardly. And at the very same time, it lauds those who are courageous. Look at the very next verse, verse 18. Here's some good news. Zebulun is a people who risk their lives to the death. Naphtali too on the heights of the field. You read Judges. You just see if you don't come away with your courage meter, maybe raised a, a notch or a couple of notches, so that you can be more courageous for the Lord. Maybe closely connected with that. Thirdly, if you read the book of Judges, I believe that you will see with great clarity the absolute necessity of good leadership. What is the main problem during the period of the Judges? What's the main problem? Well, that's kind of like asking what was the main problem aboard the Titanic. The Titanic had a lot of problems, didn't it? All kinds of problems there. Not enough lifeboats for everybody. There was panic there amongst the crew members and the people aboard the ship. Uh, The other ships, they didn't believe when they got the distress signals and so nobody actually came for help. But what was the main thing wrong with the Titanic? There was a big hole in the bottom of it. Water was pouring in. That was the big problem. And when we look at the book of Judges... There's lots of problems that we could identify. There's the problem of immorality. There's the problem of cowardice. There's the problem of idolatry. Just a whole bunch of wicked stuff going on there. Lots of contributing factors. But what is the main problem? Don't have good leaders. The book of Judges actually goes out of its way to make sure that we see that. Look in chapter 17. In chapter 17... The writer helps us to see that there was a huge failure of leadership in Israel. In chapter 17, look at verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Chapter 18, verse 1. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Chapter 19, verse 1. In those days when there was no king in Israel. And then, of course, what's the very last word in the book? Chapter 21, verse 25, the final concluding statement to this book. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Why did Israel repeatedly struggle with idolatry, Why did they continuously just fall right back into the same habits and problems of apostasy? Why is there this endless cycle of sin and repentance and rest and deliverance? Sin and repentance and rest and deliverance? The book of Judges tells us. It tells us emphatically that the people of God, they lacked godly leadership. Good leaders help God's people to remain faithful to the Lord... And in Israel at that time, there was a vacuum of that. In fact, even worse than just a vacuum of good leadership, sometimes there were just flat out bad leaders. 
I'm afraid that sometimes we kind of idealize some of these people that are talked about in Judges. We tend to commend Gideon and we speak very highly of him and his judgeship. I don't even know if that's even a word, but I said it anyway. His judgeship. You know, he fought so bravely and took those 300 men and fought against the Midianites. But sometimes we stop at the end of that story and we fail to read what happens after that battle is over. After the victory over the Midianites, uh, Judges chapter 6, just flip over and look at that. In Judges chapter 6, not chapter 6, in chapter 8, in chapter 8, in verse 22, down through verse 27, look at verse 27, Gideon made an ephod out of gold and all of these fine rubies and, and precious stones, made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah, and all of Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Gideon's making idols. What in the world? What happened? Here was a guy who was a good leader, who's now devolved to become a bad leader. And after Gideon, the judges just get progressively worse. Abimelech, Jephthah, that guy's story makes my skin crawl. Samson, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And by the time we get to some of those later chapters in Judges, we're going to be asking, where is a godly man? Where is a godly man who will stand up, who will rise to the occasion, who will be a person who will be bold enough to, to shake Israel out of its spiritual apostasy? Who will step up and who will say, we're taking all these idols, we're putting them over, we're burning these things, we're not doing that ever again, we're going to serve God from now on. Where's that guy? He's nowhere to be found. Samson, Samson, one of the last judges, that guy is a wild man. Lusting after pagan women, got a raging temper problem. He's out of control himself, much less being in any position to try to get control of all the nation. And in fact, the period of the judges, it ends with who? Eli, who lets his children just run amok in the tabernacle, fornicating with the women who come there to worship. And then who's the last judge? Samuel. His children aren't any better than Eli's. By the time we get to the end of the book of Judges, we will be crying, screaming for a real leader for the people of God. Now let me ask you this. Let's bring it home to today. What is the problem with most churches of Christ today? Churches that are experiencing troubles and difficulties. I believe usually what you'll find is it's due to a lack of good leadership. Churches that don't have elders, don't want to have elders, they don't value the idea of having a good, strong eldership. They've never had elders, and you know what? They never will have elders. Because then Brother Big Boss, he wouldn't get to have his vote in the men's meeting and get things his way. Or churches who maybe do have elders, but those elders are leading the flock astray. They're introducing all kinds of apostate things like women preachers, or like I talked about this morning, instrumental music in worship. Or maybe it's churches that have elders and they're, they're good moral guys, but ah, maybe they're just not even really qualified to serve in that position. They're weak and they, they bend to the will of the people. They don't actually lead. They don't actually shepherd the flock. You get done with the book of Judges, and I hope what you'll be asking I'm not going to belabor this because I talked about it Wednesday night, but I do want to say it again. Well, you'll be asking is you'll be asking, who among this group, the church here at Lakeside, 
Who will rise to the occasion and meet those Spirit-inspired qualifications to lead this congregation as elders of the Lord's church? I'm not talking about panicking and getting to a point where, oh, we need leaders so bad, we just start appointing people that aren't even qualified. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. What I'm saying, though, is that we'll read the book of Judges, and I know this did this for me as I read the book of Judges, that I saw that and I said, I don't want us to suffer that same fate. I don't want us as God's people today to repeat the same errors of God's people in those times. And I hope if nothing else, we'll at least be a little more mindful of that. We'll make efforts to encourage the men of this congregation as they develop and as they grow and as they build the qualifications and characteristics into their lives and into their families. And at a bare minimum, your prayer will become the thing that I've been praying for for the last three and a half years, is that, Lord, help us to have just a few good men who will stand in the gap and who will lead your people. This book will make you crave for good leadership if you're not already craving it. And then finally this evening, when you read the book of Judges, you're probably just going to get surprised a time or two or... Maybe on several occasions. And I say that actually kind of almost as a word of of warning to everyone. Because you will. You'll do kind of the the double take thing and you'll you'll rub your eyes and you'll read it again. What Did I really read that? Did that really just happen there? Like for example in chapter 3. In chapter 3, this is the judgeship of Ehud. In chapter 3, look in verse 12. In chapter 3 verse 12, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they'd done what was evil inside of the Lord. King of Moab, this Eglon fellow, he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites, and he went and he defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms, and the people of Israel, they served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Now think about that for a second. It took these sorry Israelites 18 years to realize, what are we doing? Why don't we just turn back to God? He'll save us. Nonetheless, verse 15, Then, after 18 years, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. Take note of that. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. That seems like on the wrong side for somebody who's a left-handed man, but that was intentional. Verse 17, He presented the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back to the isles near Gilgal, and he said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He commanded silence. and All his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand and took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Surprise! Did you see, if you'd never read that before, would you have seen that coming? Well, the king sure didn't see it coming, did he? And you know what? That kind of surprising turn of events, that just happens all the time when you're reading in the Judges. Look in chapter 9. In chapter 9, Abimelech, who's kind of a, kind of a rogue, kind of a renegade judge, he appears to be in a moment of triumph and he appears that it seems like he's about to gain the victory. Kind of have this big, this big moment of glory. But then chapter 9 verse 53 says, 
as Abimelech is leaning there against the wall, verse 53, that a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Surprise! That was all for him. And this book is just filled with that kind of stuff. All kinds of twists and turns that are just really unexpected. In fact, even if you've read Judges before, you come back and you read it again, you'll still kind of just be surprised. I forgot about that. I can't believe that happened. There's lots of shrewdness and craftiness, like what goes on with Caleb's daughter in the very first chapter. And then, of course, there's lots of shocking and even very disturbing events, like what happens with Jephthah and his vow in chapter 11. And by the way, here's going to be my parental advisory, parents. That does mean that Judges is not really a G-rated book of the Bible. You'll need to use some caution. You'll need to use some discretion in places as you read Judges with your kids and as you study and talk about that. But I say that, and I want to make sure we don't completely shy away from the opportunity to try to teach them in, in our words as to what's going on here in this book. You know, I would much rather, Tiffany and I, as Hattie gets older and as she's able to start to understand some of these things, I'd rather she and I be the ones to teach her about murder and lust and fornication and lying and idolatry and all the things that are going on in the book of Judges than to allow them out there, the world, to get to teach her about all of that stuff. I want to seize that opportunity. I want to seize the opportunity to teach her about right and wrong and sin and righteousness. As we talk about those sinful things, I can say, look, here's what happens when you disobey God. Here's what happens when you turn away from the Lord. These are the consequences of sin. There's definitely some PG-rated stuff in Judges. But I want you to remember that our children, they are living in an R-rated world, maybe even an X-rated world. We want to help them to see the reality of sin. We want to see that through the lens of Scripture. So in all of this, yeah, we are reading a story that is filled with lots and lots of surprises. And I think that is very appropriate as we consider the work of God. And that is that is kind of the goal with this reading schedule. The subtitle here is His Story, God's Work Through the Israelites, trying to pay attention to what God is doing in all these things. And what we find is we find that God often does work in very surprising ways. And God often does use very surprising people. There's lots of surprises in Judges. Because God doesn't always use perfect people who've been coming to church all their life and they know the Bibles from front to back and they just do everything right all the time. No. Sometimes God will use Jephthahs. Sometimes God will use the Samsons of this world in order to carry out and accomplish His purposes. So we are set, hopefully, Start reading the book of Judges later this week. And I do believe it's going to be a great read. And I hope that you've been stimulated to want to read this book. It is so relevant to our lives and to our world and yes, even to our culture here today. If you have ever struggled with the concept of somehow living righteously in a wicked society, then Judges is for you. If you've ever struggled with being able to, to fully trust in God's faithfulness and God's love for you, then Judges is for you. If you struggle with courage in your life and you don't have enough courage, then Judges is the book that you need. It is wild. It is woolly. It is very much like the wild, wild west. Parts of it are not for the faint of heart. But it'll be hard to put down. Most importantly of all, it'll help us, I believe, to know the Lord God even better.
Now as we extend the invitation of Jesus Christ, let me lean upon that first point that we made about the faithfulness of God. You understand that the reason that the world is even standing right now, the reason that you are alive and breathing and sitting in this building listening to me talk right now is because of the faithfulness of God. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He cares about you. Particularly if you're not living right, if you're not living faithfully for Him. He is patient and He is long-suffering because He desires you to... Give Him your heart. to Give Him your life and to submit to Him in His will. Don't be like the Israelites. Don't be those kinds of people who just shout out for God, you know, whenever you know things are going really, really bad. Lord, help me now. No. Be the kind of person who decides, I'm going to serve the Lord every day. If things are going well, I'm going to serve the Lord. If things aren't going well, I'm going to serve the Lord. This evening you have the opportunity to make that commitment. If you've never become a Christian, you have the opportunity to not. Put Jesus Christ on in baptism. If you'll confess your faith in Jesus as God's Son, if you're willing to repent and turn from sin, then this evening we would just be so honored and it would be our privilege to take you back there in that pool of water and immerse you in and under that water for the forgiveness of your sins. That's how the Bible says a person becomes a Christian. If you are a Christian, brother or sister, boy, I sure hope you're not trying to live like the people lived during the time of the judges. Living through that cycle of sin a little bit and I just come back to the Lord and then go back right back into sin. Let's don't be those kinds of people. Let's be people who are committed, people who are faithful, people who take seriously our God. We love Him and we serve Him and we give Him just the, the service of our lives. If you're not doing that tonight, then brother or sister, we'll pray with you and we'll encourage you and help you in whatever way that we can so that we can all serve the Lord and all be with Him in heaven someday. If you're subject to the invitation, if you're ready to act on that invitation, I want you to do that right now while we stand and while we sing.